Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. Back down to a three-man team. This week, it's all good. Tim Fitzgerald back from vacation, surprisingly not tanned. It rained too much in Orlando, unfortunately. Zach Carlson to my left and the one and only Ryan Gilbert across from me here in the Go Paracat Home Studio and Dog Lounge today. Wow, they're lazy. Man, Cole Carmody couldn't be with us today, taking care of some personal stuff back in Kansas City. Thinking of your partner. Hope all is well. Why is, why is your chair sound like you're farting? <laughs> that was my chair. That was my chair. Is your chair? Wow. Okay. That's kind of fun. Boy, I tell you what. Oh, man. Vacation was good, but uh, I hate travel. And travel's even worse in the age of COVID. Coming back, we got flight changed and redirected. So we ended up being in airports and coming back from Orlando, which should be a direct flight and was supposed to be a direct flight, ended up into seven plus hours of wearing a mask travel. Nah. Nah, I'm no, that's not right. I was not into it, but it was good to get away, and I'm glad that everything kept going forward on the uh, on the old website. I did a daily delivery the entire time. I piled them up, Zach. It was a pile. It was a pile. An impressive pile. An impressive pile of DDs, as we like to call them. This is the Questions Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Make sure you stop into the fridge whenever you're in Manhattan. Did I hear you guys say baseball lifted their... It's uh, up to 50%. Up to 50%. That's good. That's I can do that. That's fine. Still probably got to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. I hear the mask mandate in Manhattan might be expiring here fairly soon. About a month. So that'll be nice um, if you feel safe with that. But uh, I'm kind of gotten there now that I'm vaccinated. And uh, I'm hoping football be at 100% by the fall. I mean, we're getting vaccinated. Except now they've uh, stopped your Johnson & Johnson's there, Gills. So you probably didn't get vaccinated yet. I don't think you planned on. Um, but, yeah, it turns out that the vaccine has some issues. Like every vaccine has issues. Tylenol has issues. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting political. Just come on, folks. Let us all choose to do it or not. Assume the risks or not. You don't need to protect us from everything. Uh, but you need to be protected from this podcast, and if you need alcohol, go to the fridge. Also, get down to Aggieville and visit Tanner's. I'm back in town, and I'm ready to do another night at Tanner's. Go see Charlie and and company down there, and maybe we'll make it to the high-low at some point. I don't know, man. They, they're not open very often. I feel like it's our Matt Damon joke. Well, high-low, we didn't get to you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it's not as easy to pub crawl right now, and a lot of bars are still closing early because they're not staffed to stay open. They, they've whittled down their staff to kind of bare bones for the limited hours, and it's 
not a good time to try to staff back up with all the students leaving. But we're here, folks. We're here for you. And you've got questions. Hopefully we've got answers. Here's Zach. From Dr. J54, do you feel confident that we are done with transfers out of the basketball team? Well, you never know. I mean, I am good getting to the question. Yeah, I'm confident, but you don't know for sure. I mean, maybe someone will get to the end of the semester and realize, yeah, I want to go somewhere else. When I saw that stat someone put up on the message board, Gills, 30% of Division One basketball players are in the portal or have been in the portal this year. Dude, that's insane. That's that's four on average, four out of every 13 scholarships at a, at a D1 program. Four players are in the portal. And that's just amazing. And now where I get a little curious about it, how do they calculate that in? Do they calculate in incoming freshmen? Because it could be a little deceiving. Mm-hmm. I mean, if on average you lost three or four players off of every roster, so you're at nine or ten players, is it 30% of that? without counting seniors departing or incoming freshmen. So that might be a little deceptive. But even three players off every program, it's incredible. Most of those players aren't going to find a Division One home. They're just creating more opportunities for incoming freshmen. It's, it's a little nutty, but I think uh, I'm sure we'll get to this. That K-State has done pretty well in the portal. I don't – I would be – I wouldn't be shocked if Lingard or, or Lewis transferred out at this point just because of Masood coming in. So I like go back to last year. I didn't expect Stalker to transfer, and then I think they got Lingard, and then that's when Stalker transferred, right? So you know, Something like that. It, he, it, it can surprise you. Yeah. I mean, someone might just look at the tea leaves and say, you know what? This doesn't look good for me playing. Um, I guess if I had to pick someone that logically might depart, it would be Lingard. He's the third center. He's now got two other stretch fours in the program, if that's what he wants to be. Montavious Murphy's coming back, probably will slide into the four once in a while. Uh, I could see him maybe being the guy that goes. What was the question from a few weeks ago? The over-under. What was it, two and a half, three and a half? Yeah, what was, were, and was Somebody and was already in, so it's two and a half. Are we at three total, or two total, based on that? Because at that point, someone, someone was already in. Does Joe uh, count? N- no, no, not technically, no, not technically. No. But there are three with the two yeah. Gordons and and Rudy. Mm-hmm. So. But there was somebody already. Somebody was already in yeah. when they gave the two and a half. So technically three and a half. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm still gonna hit the over on that. I don't know who. I'm not gonna name names, but just based on the numbers that you mentioned, you know, if there's 30 percent of players, you know, there's a little bit of an allowance there. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me by any means if if somebody else entered the portal. Okay. Next question is from Contra Cat. Do you believe Bruce has had his 2020-2021 annual review with Gene Taylor at this point? God, I'd hope so. Wouldn't it make sense? Or do you think they're waiting till after recruiting's done? I mean, he has been a little bit busy. Maybe that would make sense now that signing days passed and they've filled their class. They're at 14 players for next year. So, I mean, people will ask me if they think they've, I think they've improved. Well, they got 14 dudes on scholarship this year and they had 12. So they got more options at least. We can get into my thoughts on that more in depth, but maybe they haven't yet because Bruce has been busy trying to fill up recruiting and maybe that'll come maybe late April. I don't know. It's, that's very interesting. I, folks, it's not like there's going to be a press release. 
you know, Gene Taylor is now. So I'm keeping him. Uh, and it'll it's, happen. It's and not going to be like, know. yeah, it's not going to be like Texas where there's some statement. We're confident. You know, we're going to keep Tom Herman. January 2nd comes. Just kidding. Yeah. yeah it's not going to happen. I mean, if, if Bruce is still the coach on, you know, May 31st, he's going to be the coach for next season. And I don't see any other way around it, but it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't have it. Cause I feel like April is when these meetings have were supposed to happen last year and when they normally happen in the past. So I think letting the season die down, especially after the national championship game, which was still, you know, only last week, you know, give a little bit, little bit of time for the season to kind of end, but you know, it should be happening soon if it hasn't. Next questions from Itain BB between the big 12 championship in 2019 and the program downfall the year after, and Bruce took some time to coach the U S team in the Phoebe U 19 world cup. Do you think his time spent away from Manhattan Manhattan during that world cup has anything to do with the season we had in 2019, 20? No, no, I, I don't. I mean, I, they just didn't have talent. They didn't have players. They had, they had players and talent. They didn't have players and talent that wanted to work hard. Yeah, they didn't have they didn't have enough guys. And well, let's be honest here. They didn't have guys that were mentally prepared to step into the role of leadership mm-hmm. and leading score and carry the team. I mean, I think Xavier kind of lost his focus um, being the main guy. He just couldn't carry the load. And I think Cartier just didn't handle it emotionally. So they they had some talent on that team, but I don't think it was because their coach hadn't been around. I just think it wasn't a well-constructed team. That's that's always the ingredient that Bruce isn't good about constructing the team and kind of making things fit together. If they fit together, he's good with it. I mean, we see that. When he, when he has it all kind of fall in place, it appears that he can really coach them to a high level. And I guess that'd be the hope with this next year's team that this, you know, collection of lost toys will end up being a a fun team to play for, you know, to spectate. I don't know. I don't think it really had anything to do. I I'm, I don't. I, I think it was a great opportunity for a guy like Dejuan Gordon to understand how far he needed to go by trying out for that team. Um, and he didn't seem to really embrace that lesson as far as I can tell. And he kind of thought maybe he had arrived. Maybe that was Bruce's mistake was inviting him and making him think he should be at the same table as those players when he really didn't deserve that. I think that on the other side of that argument that I would make is, you know, if Bruce is around, you know, these players, it's not a well-constructed team. There isn't really a leader. Maybe Bruce being around being that leader would help this team out a little bit. I don't think it would have stopped the downfall completely. But maybe a few games here or there, it, it could have had a difference. But generally, no, I, I kind of agree with you, Fitz, that it, it really probably didn't matter because of the team and how it was constructed. I agree. Wow. Short first yeah. half here. Yeah, I know. Um, from Get Out More Cat, is the coaching carousel done for the year? No. No, there's going to be some movement at some point. I mean, one of the unknown variables is you're going to get to the end of the NBA season and will college coaches move at that point? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I think it's going to happen quite a bit. And the other side of that is some, you know, what if Boston removes Brad Stevens? Just an example. I don't think they would. But um, that's a guy that if you're – I'll just say it, If you're a Kansas State, you go 
oh, he's on the market. You might make a move for that. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's in Gene's personality, but certainly there might be some ads out there that would look at that and say, okay, now that's a guy I see as a, an upgrade. I'm going to make the move. No, so I don't think the coaching carousel's done. Has it calmed down quite a bit? Yeah, but uh, I know this: the Big Twelve is going to be brutal. It's going to be really. I think Drew will continue to build and. They'll be down a little bit at Baylor, but they're going to get it going. And I think Texas with Chris Beard is going to be a force. And I think KU's in big trouble. I mean, in terms of where their standing has been, they're still going to be a good team, but they're not going to run this conference for the foreseeable future. Done? No. There's going to be some more movement. That's another place on the carousel, though. KU. It could. In the NBA. It really could. That's if Bill Self of- finally goes to the NBA to get ri- to get outside of – all of these investigations and, and whatever else, you know, I feel like the NBA is finally, it finally could be happening at this point. Uh, I mean, you have to understand, well, we just signed a new contract. That contract was signed for one purpose, and that purpose being to, to help recruiting, to try to get players convinced that he's not going anywhere and don't worry about things. You know, Bill Self will be there. Everything's fine. It doesn't appear that it's working. I mean, it's not like the players have been lining up to to go there. They've had some success, but I don't think they're making having difference makers lined up to come to KU right now. So, you know, maybe he looks at it come later this summer and goes, okay, well, that didn't work. Maybe it's time to move to the NBA instead of getting my teeth kicked in like he did last year in conference play by their standards because most K-State fans would take that record. Last question of the first half from Ema PT. Can you make you can make one change to the rules of basketball or football for on-field play? What is your idea? Football or basketball? Yeah, you can choose. Uh, well, basketball. I think we a lot of group, a lot of us agree with this. Go to quarters. I mean, I just the thing I like about quarters. People don't talk about what's the most exciting play in basketball? The buzzer beater. You add two more buzzers to beat. I mean, it's just another layer in there that's kind of fun. And it builds in, uh, you know, a really a set timeout. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you got to get the shot off because the 10-minute quarter is just about over. I would do that in a heartbeat. I think college basketball is really missing it by not doing that. Football, um, I I'm, I really love football. I think football is just a really well-designed game. I, I think uh, the targeting has gotten carried away. Um, I think they need to get to more blatant lead with the helmet type things. Um, I, I think they should have two levels of targeting. One would be a very blatant targeting where, you know, you, you did lead with the crown or you did go to someone's helmet and you should be ejected. And the other being, okay, you got a warning. I mean, we're not going to eject you for this. Um, but a second minor targeting, you would be gone. Like, you know, some sometimes you... You lower your helmet a little bit and you lead with your helmet, but you don't make head-to-head contact. You know, some of those things they get ejected for now, it's like, come on. I think they've gotten carried away with the targeting penalties. I think you should be penalized the game you're in uh, and just move on. I mean, 15 yards and kicking someone out, with even if there's one minute remaining, is still a penalty. And, And having it take out another game, I think that's just too harsh. It needs to take more of a soccer style. Yellow card, red card, get out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There, there needs to be a, a formal caution, so to speak, on some of these quote-unquote targetings. 
But back to your quarters thing, I think it would, for from a K-State standpoint, it would change Bruce Weber's foul structure when he sits people. Huh. It would be interesting to see how coaches would address that. So I, I think he'd be more willing to play guys with fouls, especially in the first quarter. He's not going to, if you're, because based on his his strategy right now, you have two fouls in the first half is it. That's all you get is two fouls. If you foul once in the first quarter, is he going to sit you? No, he shouldn't sit you. If you get a second one in the second in the first quarter, yeah, you should probably sit for the rest of the quarter, but you shouldn't sit for the rest of the half. You know, the math, the percentages don't add up. So be interesting to see. But my, my answer for basketball is advance the ball. On a timeout, advance the ball. It makes the game more exciting. Um, you know, both teams get it. You know, you might not have the advantage because you're ahead and the, the team behind, but I mean, it's just another wrinkle in it to make the game more exciting. And, you know, if there's three seconds left, at least give the other team a chance. You know, if they have a timeout, why not? You know, if they don't have any timeouts, that's that's too bad. You lose, but, you know, you save that timeout, you're allowed to use it. That's what I would change there. I wish the XFL would have gotten a full season in last year because I think they had some rule changes that were – maybe not that I necessarily liked, but it was a good testing ground for stuff that, you know, you might say, Hey, that's a good idea. Let's move that up, you know, and, and make that an actual rule. You know, the, the point after, uh, touchdowns, you know, the one, two or three, you know, you could choose whatever there, you know, that was an interesting wrinkle in the game that it was, you know, it changes the strategy up a bit. You know, I kind of like that, but I don't know if that would be, Something you'd want to move over, but stuff stuff like that. Try testing stuff there. I guess I'd also, as a reporter, I'd appreciate more accountability from officials. I mean, there's the stock, hey, you can have a pool reporter to ask a question about rules. Well, the pool reporter turns out to be not a reporter at all, which I think is ingenuous in the fact that it's usually just the SID goes in and asks, what's the interpretation of this rule? And I think officials, you know, if they're teeing up Bruce Weber for what well, I doubt was really cursing because he doesn't curse very much that I know of, if at all, but not doing it when you can read the lips of a Bob Huggins or someone else, I mean, it's same official with two different standards. I'd, I'd just like an explanation. What is your hot button, Doug? What what exactly sets you off? Because I see you teeing up a, a K-State freshman that might stare someone down. But a game later, I see someone literally stare someone down and flex, and you don't do a damn thing. I'd like to know how you're interpreting these rules. And is, just, is it just how you feel that day? If you're feeling lonely and need a little of attention, you know, had a day where – Maybe uh, even when you were at home the night before, the dog didn't want to talk to you because he knows you're an idiot. And so you wanted to take it out on someone else. I just, I'd like a little more access to these guys. I think they should be held accountable. I do think that the, the conferences should be putting out memos on, you know, a certain call, certain event in a game. They sh- there should be public explanations for some things that go on. Now, I'll let someone else figure out what that is, but I just find it really, really feeble that these guys aren't held accountable at all, and they operate that way. 
a lot of them operate that way. Like nobody's going to call us on the carpet or if it is, it's just going to be secret and quiet. And, you know, I'll be told, Hey man, you really kind of screwed that up. We're going to laugh about it Um, because all their bosses are former officials typically, which stinks. You know, there's, I'm not going to say that football or hockey are perfect, but one thing they do get right is they have to announce to the crowd what the penalty was. Right. You know, they say, you know, this is what it was. This is why we're doing it. You know, you get two minutes for this or, you know, 15-yard penalty on that. Basketball officials, baseball umpires, they don't have to announce their decisions to the crowd on what, you know, what the ruling is. I think that having to actually be a public speaker and and make an announcement to the crowd or, you know, to everyone. I mean, look back at basketball this year. The announcers didn't even know half the time. They usually get an explanation from the ref, you know, so they can convey it to, to everybody. But... The, the referee should be announcing it to everyone watching the game, what happened and why they're calling something the way it is. You know, if it's something that needed to look at or, you know, was somewhat controversial. So should um, the interpretation of the rules from the one umpire at one point in football where someone was penalized for giving him the business, should that be a new rule? Like actually have it, have an arm thing, you know, like, I don't know what would it be like fighting, you know, like giving him the business would actually be the penalty. I think that would improve football. I love the one, the guy in hockey who's like, you can't do that. You know, two minutes, <laughs> two minutes hooking or whatever. Perfect explanation. <laughs> I think he turned his what mic was, on a little too early, but he's what, like, you can't do that. <laughs> what's it called? He can't do that. He just can't. He can't do that. He was giving him the business. <laughs> That's it for the first half of this podcast. We're not back in the swing yet. I, maybe we miss Cole. Maybe this was Cole's opportunity to talk a whole lot this week. Probably was. Nah, that's not Cole's style. We'll be back with more of the PowerCat Questions Podcast. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. 
Fitz, Zach, and Gills in the home studio and dog napping room. Jeez, God. I love how I don't have a nickname. Zach is your nickname. Zach. Zach. Well, once in a while I call you Zachtoberfest. Yeah. I mean, but it's one syllable, just Zach. Zach. You know, you can make an argument that Fitz really isn't a nickname. It's just people are lazy and don't want to say my whole name. But it's cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a now a top 40 country countdown with Fitz, some some DJ that goes by Fitz. And I'm like, I know it's not the most, you know, it's like being Maury, if you're Morris, one of my buddies. Not the most original thing, but come on, man. That's me. I'm Fitz. Get out of here with that nonsense. I feel like for a country station, Fitz might be the worst name for a, a DJ. Oh, I know. You know? Oh, I, I I, would. You couldn't go by Fitz if you were a country oh, DJ. I've got my country DJ name. I know exactly what I'd be. I'd use my first two initials and the first street I remember living on. Welcome to the top 40 country songs with TJ Crestwood. <laughs> Don't I say TJ? TG, TJ would be better. TG Crestwood. I like it. No? You don't seem inspired by that. Timmy Crestwood. Oh, man. Not Timmy. I got to talk to Timmy Horn about this, dude. This is what happens when you don't show up to the meetings, man. We voted out Timmy. You're either Tim or Timothy. We're not going by Timmy. That's not how it works. We've had, we've gone over this at the meetings. Mm. Man. Too cool to show up for the meetings. Sponsored by The Fridge. Get into Tanner's The High Low. And here is Gills. He's going to take over for the second half because Zach's going to have some knowledge to drop. (laughs) First question of the second half is from KNED. In his power chat, Kleiman went behind the scenes into North Dakota State's preparations for first game FBS opponents. They knew what the opportunity meant for their program. While he might not ever say it, do you think they are approaching the Stanford game in a similar vein with similar importance at this stage in the program? I'd hope so. I mean, yeah, that that's very observant, KNAD, because they knew what those opportunities meant for the program, and he really is in a similar position. You win that, it kind of changes the context of your entire 2021 season. Um, the problem is you don't have that follow-up drop-off in your opponent's. You know, when they were, they were so much better than everyone else at the 1AA FCS level that even if they backed off in their performance the next week, if they're playing an FCS program, they're probably going to win by three touchdowns. They were just that much better than everyone else. Here, you back up. And well, in this case, they're going to take on an FCS program the next week. But then you you back out of that and you have Nevada, which is supposed to be pretty good. I mean, you can't just cruise on Nevada because they'll beat you. I mean, we see that happening, and the gap's just closed. That Stanford game's enormous for K-State football, Zach. Just enormous. Yeah, it's a big game. Uh, I'm worried. You know, when you go back to the 2016 season, that first game at Stanford, I feel like it's easy to kind of separate it from the season because K-State lost. It was late at night, and it really didn't have that much of an impact on how the rest of the season went. And I'm worried about this game and and if they if they kind of show up the same and they lose and it's just like you know i i i don't want to say it could deflate the season but you know this is a big game a big opportunity you know i know a lot of k state fans are upset that it's not in manhattan and yeah i get i get the arguments for 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 being against playing it in arlington but you know this it's going to be on the national stage it's you know it's stanford 
Um, you know, it's at least right now the Pac-12 seems a bit down, but you know, you beat Stanford. That's you know, that's a feather in your cap game. That's like Mississippi State a couple years ago. You know, if you can can win, and then you know, you take care of business. So it's Southern Illinois, right? And they beat they beat North Dakota State. They did. They did. So Thank you, you know, did. it's <laughs> you know, and with Nevada being good, I mean, this is you lose this game, you know, you're you're set up for a tough a tough go. If you start off on a bad foot this season, you know, Southern Illinois, they should probably win that game. But Nevada's not by any means, you know, a, a bunny. And, you know, you're going to start off with a crazy Big 12 schedule to get started. So you've got to win this game. You know, it, it's important. Gil, do you feel like there's a certain amount of gamble in the Stanford game and in this? If that game's played at home, uh, I think K-State's expected to win. Now, maybe not favored to win, but fans clearly would expect it. And probably national people say, hey, if you can't beat Stanford on your home field, you're, you're in trouble. Almost by upping the ante, by moving it to a neutral field, taking away your home field advantage. Uh, I almost think Chris Kleiman's added value to the win. If they can win this game, it, it looks better on your resume. Oh, it's neutral site. You didn't just win at home. You didn't protect your fort. You went out on the road, you know, to someone else's stadium and, and won a game. Do you agree with that thought? Yeah, I do. And I'll say this. I, as a fan growing up, I never could keep interest. Like when K-State lost to Auburn, was at 14? And then the Vanderbilt game on the road. If you lose an early game, non-con or Mississippi State here at home, I can't stay interested just because that, that thought of the national championship, even as far as that may be, it's gone pretty much if you lose a non-conference game. So I think it's a huge game just to – if you get the win, then there's a real momentum heading into the season. But if you lose it, you know, it's high risk, high reward. So I, I like the move like we've talked about, even though I was kind of pessimistic at first. I think it's the thought of it's growing on me. Get yourself exposure. And if you win the game, that that's big for your program and a good look around the country. I also think it protects you a little bit if you do lose. You know, if you lose the game, yep. it is on a neutral site. You didn't lose at home, right. at least. You know, I, I don't think it's any better or worse than a road game, but you do protect yourself a little bit from a loss, and I think you take advantage on a win because it it wasn't at home, and it looks it looks good. You won somewhere that wasn't on your own turf. It's it's enormous. I mean, you mentioned 2014 Auburn, K State. Probably should have won that game. They just had some anomalies happen in that game. You know, Tyler Lockett hardly ever drops a pass. He drops a touchdown pass. Um, if they went, accepted, right? I don't remember that. Did it uh, bounce off his hands? Swear it did. But if they win that game, it just changes the context of the season. And I stand by this at 2017 loss at Vanderbilt, right? Yep. yep. That ended the Snyder era. Uh, um, in the hearts and minds of fans, they kind of checked out. They started going through the motions from that game on until the retirement. I really feel that way. I feel like that was the game against a mediocre Vanderbilt team, and they turned out actually to be pretty bad. And K-State clearly looked outclassed, and they weren't prepared. They looked ill-prepared. Fans were like, we just invested a lot of energy, passion, and money to come to Nashville to watch this game, to watch a team not be prepared to play. I think that was really the end of the rabid backing uh, for K-State football. And and honestly, 
hopefully the Stanford game can rejuvenate that because it's at a safe place and it's an easy draw for K-State. It's a lot easier to get to than Nashville. A lot of fans in Texas, so there'll be a lot of fans. It's going to have kind of a mini bowl feel like the Vanderbilt game did. Win that game and maybe it can really spark some enthusiasm in a way that even beating Oklahoma the last two years hasn't done. There's something magical about stepping out of your conference and playing a Power 5 opponent and winning. And K-State just hasn't done that very much, in part because Snyder didn't play those games very much. Uh, But they've also just had some issues with those early season games. Bill Snyder's style, his way he prepared teams was to literally stair-step into the season. Put a little bit in here, a little bit in there, a little bit in there. And then by the time you're in in the conference season, you're, you're a better football team. That doesn't work when you have to prepare to play. A team like Mississippi State, that was pretty good. Comes in and kicks your ass. And it just kind of knocks everything off a schedule for the program. Back to what you said earlier, Gills. Um, if you're checking out as a K-State fan when you lose a non-conference game or an early season game because they can't win a national championship now, you are a rare breed of K-State fans. <laughs> you are in a 1% little bubble of K-State fans that'll just be like, well, I can't win the, can't win the national championship. I'm turning it off for the rest of the year. That doesn't mean I'm turning it off. Okay. But it's just but, like, well, and that goes into the kind of the debate of the college football playoff. That's why I'd like to see it maybe get expanded because there is more chances for teams. Even if you lose a game yeah. or two, you can still get in. But I, you can call me a bandwagon fan. I'm not calling you a bandwagon fan. I'm just saying that yeah. – that is I a rare – you are a – you are you know, if it's you or any other K-State fan, you are very rare if that first loss of the year, you're like, man, we can't win a national championship now. Be like, well, let's – Yeah, always have high expectations, right? Let's worry about just getting into the championship game first. <laughs> Big 12, the conference championship game. Exactly, yeah. Next question on the topic from Jedediah. How much will the Stanford game tell us about how the rest of the season will go? Stanford, like K-State, seems hard to pin down. Yeah, they are. They are. We, I, I'm not really clear on how good they're going to be. I think they're not going to be as as good as they were when K-State went to Palo Alto. Um, it's a very winnable game, although Stanford is favored, at least in Vegas right now. Uh, one of the things I take away from the early Chris Kleiman start here the two years is K-State fans had grown accustomed to the consistency of Bill Snyder and for the most part when you got into league play if you're playing Baylor or Tech or you know a team that you're on top of so to speak you win but you also don't beat Oklahoma and you know do those things very often at least in his 2.0 you know, climate's a little bit more all over the place. We're going to beat Oklahoma, and then we're going to lay a turd the next week or however it works out. And, you know, there's just not that consistency. And that's one of the big things he's got to build in this program. So if he can go go down to Arlington, beat Stanford, come home, defend the field a couple times, and then, you know, hold your own in the opening stretch of Big 12 play. I mean, you you can't come out of that phase of the season at two and four at the midturn. You just can't. Or if you lose to Stanford, it could be one and five or, you know, two and four at the best if you're losing to Stanford. If you can come out of there at three and three, you're okay. You're okay. Then you got a lot of winnable games. But somehow if you come out four and two, you sweep your non-conference and steal one of those early games against Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and Iowa State, you're in really damn good shape going down the final stretch, the final half of the season. So, yeah, I like the concept, the the foundation of this question. I think what happens in 
in Arlington will set a tone for what's about to come the rest of at least the first half of the season. I think, at least for the first six games, if K-State wins against Stanford, I think they have a better chance of being 5-1 and one there versus if they lose to Stanford and then being 3-3. Three and three. I think that I think that if if they lose to Stanford, I think that they very well could be two and four, one and five, like you mentioned. If they win against Stanford, I think that that could you know set it off, set off the rocket, and and you know you could go maybe five and one. I'm not going to say six and zero, oh, but you know you 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 realistically could build enough momentum and enough hype around the program by winning that game against Stanford. Finally. You know, I, I get that they beat Mississippi State in 2019, but, you know, outside of that, there's really no good Power 5 wins, you know, in the last 10 years of the program. So, you know, I, I think it'd be huge, and it very well could set off the momentum for the rest of the season. You said there's no good Power 5 wins in the last 10 years? Non-con. I'll give them Miami on the road in 11. Okay, we're we're stretching we're stretching ten years. <laughs> That's right on the we're, cusp. we're right on the cusp there. Okay, Mississippi State though a few years ago, but uh, back wasn't bad either. But I agree. I mean, the Stanford game really just kind of I I don't know much about that team, and it, if you win that game, there's a lot of like I said earlier, positive momentum moving forward. Next question, Fitz, you don't agree? No, I'm, can I get the uh, I agree uh, approval, seal of approval? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next question from WTDD. Dang it. I had that one It's down. such it, a tongue twister. Zach's messed me up on we this We hate one. this. WTDD2001 wants there to know. Did you guys know it stands for win the dang day? No. I learned that <laughs> wow. last week. <laughs> learned that today. <laughs> the dang day today. If the locker room and culture are really fixed in Chris Kleiman's program after last year, then why are we still adding transfers like Eric Munoz mm-hmm. good, and Kate Warner, who are depth and locker room guys? I mean, well, if well, when you lose somebody that you wouldn't, I don't want to talk bad on anybody that's left the program, but you know, if you if you're adding these guys that you know make your locker room better, but the guys that let left, you know, they weren't necessarily making your locker room better. I mean, I think it's I think it's a great addition, regardless of what the locker room culture is. If you have a good locker room and you add guys that fit into into the locker room, it keeps it a good locker room. You know, that's, that's how I see it. I don't, I don't think that there should be any reading into concern by getting these good locker room guys, you know, that, oh no, maybe the locker room's not as good. We need some role models. No, if everybody's a role model, you know, these guys just fit right in. That's how I see it. And plus at this point, if you have an open scholarship and you've gone through spring football and you realize we may not be quite as good at linebacker as we thought we might be, then you go talk to Juwan Mitchell who might, you know, be a senior, come in, be one and done. You know, you really embrace that opportunity, and then he could come back if you wanted to. But um, I think anything that improve your team, and it's not just about who can play. If somehow adding Cade Warner to the the locker room, to the receivers' room, a guy that prepares the right way, drags everyone along with him, because I think there's some talent in that room that isn't preparing the right way. They're not out there spending those extra reps, catching the ball and polishing their game. But if this kid that transferred in from Nebraska is out working you, don't you take notice of that? Don't doesn't that inspire you to go after it and and go work a little bit harder? And if it doesn't, that might show why that problem has existed in that room. That they they just can't be driven forward. They're they're settling for what they can be. 
So I, I'm all for it. And there's so many ways to improve your team without just getting more points or tackles or receptions or whatever, whatever the sport is. You know, adding someone in the locker room, it may not be easy for fans to measure, but coaches can measure it. They can see it. Take Daniel uh, Matarabi, for well example. Done. Well done. Did I get that right? Well done. Okay. Um, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> oh, you're just going to agree. Yeah. Um, you know, the coaches were ranting and raving about, you know, his worth ethic and, you know, how he, you know, he'll be on the field after and, and taking reps and getting better. It's getting guys like those. You know, he's a good player, but when you have a good worth ethic, work. Good, you're struggling with a that. Good, a good work ethic, you know, a guy like that, you know, it rubs off on the rest of the team. Yep. You know, if if you see, hey, if that guy and he's he may not even be in my position group, but if he's getting better, and if I'm a number two or a number three where I am, you know, let's go work with him. Let's go get better and 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 prove that you know I want to get get on the field. Yeah, look, um, when when this guy comes in, when Bebe commits, I'm like, this is his fourth school, right? He went. Florida, USC, Illinois here. That's worrisome. But then you find out that he's actually a really good kid that is leading the way and making a good example in how he goes about business. That's huge. Set aside the fact that he's going to impact the team on the field on game day. That's huge. And I know this isn't really about basketball, but I look at the basketball team with the additions of this roster they've gotten more mature and more uh more scores out of it so i think they've improved themselves enough i don't know but i think the locker room has the possibility of being a lot better not that it was a bad locker room it just lacked leadership you had poor mike mcgirl trying to lead everyone and that's just too much to ask of anyone and now you've added some more experience, some guys have been around the block who've been in big games, whether it was at the SEC level, the Big Ten level, um, the ACC level, or a smaller conference like Arkansas Pine Bluff would be in. They've been in big games. They've been in locker rooms. And as long as they're positive influences, it's going to better the team, better leadership, better attention to detail, knowing what it takes to win. Next question from SnareCat3. Within the next five years, what position groups will K-State put through the NFL draft? Or put to the NFL. Follow-up, is your answer a testament to the coach of that position group or of K-State's general scheme prioritizing that position or a mix? Hmm. Um, Tight end, and yes, it's about the position prioritization of just the scheme and how how K-State plays. It'll be a couple years off, but you're going to start seeing offensive linemen um, right now, they're not big enough. I mean, they're just not skilled enough. Uh, let's be honest here, guys. I, over the last two, three years, there's been a lot of veteran guys on the line, a lot of experience. They're not loading up to the league. You know, they really aren't. You're not seeing a bunch of guys that are even free agent signing and sticking. So uh, they clearly need to get athletic and and build some size as they go. So I think that'll happen. I think we're going to see it on the back end of this defense. I think they're better on the back end of the defense, particularly because of a couple transfers this season. But the corner play last year, despite the problems they had with COVID and injuries, turned out to be a, as about a good a corner play as they've had since DJ Reed was running around. Um, and at times it was better because it was balanced. The two sides were both good. I think they do a good job of coaching safeties um, and they're, 
trying to kind of zero in on those things that they want. But their linebackers haven't been big enough. Their defensive ends outside of Wyatt Hubert haven't been big enough. Defensive interior tackles haven't been quite there. That's where they need to really make the next breakthrough is that defensive front having NFL-level guys, and then they're going to be really good. But skill positions, I'm disappointed in what they're doing at receiver. Deuce will play in the league. How much, I don't know, but... I mean, he's just a difference maker, but he's not Darren Sproles, folks. He's just not, at least not right now. He needs to start taking kicks. Yeah. I mean, I mean until to... until Deuce Vaughn starts taking kicks, I don't think that he has a spot in the league. Right. And, and I'll just say this. I don't think Skyler's an NFL quarterback, but there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league right now that, in college, I wouldn't have thought they were NFL guys. Sometimes you get the guy that their game just translates better to a higher level. I don't know that Skyler has the arm strength to to be that guy, but sometimes that happens, and uh, you can get surprises. Perfect example: Reggie Walker, the first, not the defensive end, the linebacker. He was a good college linebacker. He stuck in the league for a long time because he's, whatever it was, what he could do seemed to translate to the NFL a little bit better than it did the college game. I can't explain it. can't put my finger on it. Maybe it was focused and preparation kind of kicked into gear. But he earned his pension from the NFL. And if you know what I'm talking about, that's a huge part of sticking in the league long enough where you get the lifetime pension. So I, I do think the O-line will be the next one. But, uh, you know, they'll continue to process tight ends through this program because – it took one year of having a really good tight end for tight end recruits to go, oh, okay, that's where I want to go. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to really benefit K-State. Yeah, I don't know if Skyler's going to be in the league, but if you told me that Will Howard or Jake Rubley, whoever won the, the competition there, I wouldn't be shocked if one of them ended up in the league, you know, just based on, you know, Chris Kleiman's track record of, of you know, getting good quarterbacks at North Dakota State. And he didn't even get a coach, Trey Lance, really. So, but he recruited him, got him there. So, you know, I, I, I trust Chris Kleiman as far as quarterback goes. And I think that, you know, once it finally gets rolling, you know, once, you know, his the guys he's hand-selected get in there, I think that, you know, I think Jake Rubley could be a guy that goes to the league. Last question of the podcast from KNED. How oxymoronic, anti-free market, and a complete denial of reality is the phrase cable subscription acquired to stream? That's weird. Yeah. I'm I'm really not happy with this whole thing. I'm not. And um, I think we've got a bunch of old guys sitting in a room in, what, North Carolina? Is that where Sinclair's out of? Somewhere out on the East Coast thinking – Oh, if they really want to watch, they'll just get a cable subscription. They're misunderstanding what's happening, the seismic shift and and what's happening. And a guy with my demographic is like, oh, you you expect me to go back to these cable conglomerate conglomerates that took advantage of me for a lot of years. Our cable bill with with uh, now granted we had HBO and Stars and but our cable bill by the time we canceled with the company here in town. And internet was over three hundred dollars a month because they had slowly ratcheted up the price. The longer you stay a loyal customer, the more they screw you. That's just an unbelievable business model. Now I understand sales, but 
you would be wise to constantly cancel your business with them and go back. Cancel your business, go back. Because they just kept raising the price on you. It was like you were on an escalator constantly going up. And unless you got off at a floor and went back down, you you were just constantly getting screwed by them. And not a few pennies or, you know, it was just easy to say, well, we're going to stick with this. And, you know, I'm not going to play. I'm not one to do that, to cancel and resubscribe. You know, for example, if, you know, some people seasonally will cancel a network and then join it back. I don't do that. I just, it's, it's too much work for me, to be honest. But I think they've misjudged the marketplace. There's been a huge shift away from cable because they screwed us for so many years. I'm done with them. And you can make the argument that the doing the streaming thing is going to add up to the same prices. We have a lot of streaming services in this household. We're nowhere near $300 worth of streaming, including our cable bill. Nowhere near it. Now, part of the benefit is Paramount being part of the 24-7 thing helps. But but it's still not that much money. No. I mean, and, you know, we had Amazon before and Netflix before. So that's really, you know, that was already built into our budget, too. But you start adding in, we've added Peacock because there's some programming there I like. You know, Hulu, the Disney package. We've got Apple, which we're not paying for right now, but it's going to come up here pretty quick because my year free is done. It is done now. Probably did bill. Um, it's nowhere near it. But here's the thing. If I if I get down the road and realize, well, I'm just not using Peacock very much, I can cancel that piece of my puzzle, but I can't cancel the tier of kids programming we get from the cable service that I have no need for. I just don't have any need for it. So I hear people making this argument that streaming will add up to the same, but it won't. Because if I see a piece of my puzzle I can get rid of, I can just get rid of it. And with streaming, I get a lot more selection of what I can watch. There's nothing on Cox or or Time Warner, whatever your service is, that compares to Apple or Disney, or any of those other services. And if they're important to me, I can go get it. Now, we're getting to the point where we're probably going to get HBO Max because their programming is up its game, and we're going to have to probably get rid of something else. But those are easy decisions to make, not the cable company saying, hey, we just added 10 more music channels that you won't listen to, and your bill's gone up $5. What? YouTube does a little of that, but usually it's kind of value-added programming. Uh, if someone could just give us a Hallmark streaming service, it would make my wife happy and I'd get rid of Philo. Philo. P-H-I-L-O. The only reason we have it is Hallmark. And my wife's horrible addiction. So bad. <sighs> Such a bad... That's horrible. Bad movies. But I, I'm just warning you, if you're... Not getting the gist of what I was saying in my daily delivery, because three minutes sometimes isn't enough. There's going to come a day when uh, the Big 12 might have half of its games on. I'm just going to pull it out and say Hulu, just as an example. It probably won't be Hulu, but I'm just saying that. And you know what? You will learn to really like that. Because instead of having that hidden into your bill that you're paying that, you're actually going to pay it. And instead of having hidden into your bill that you're going to pay that year round with your cable, 
you can actually make the conscious decision. Basketball season's over. I don't care about baseball or anything else you're putting on there. I'll see you in football season. I'm taking these next four or five months off. You'll have greater control. Will it be inconvenient? Yeah, to a degree. It will be. But I think you'll really learn to like the streaming concept. And I'm telling you, I think it'll benefit fan bases like Kansas State that have a small fan base that is very loyal and watches. It's easy to say, well, Texas has a huge fan base. And they do. I see that in our industry. There's there's like four Texas sites that are all bigger than any of the Kansas State sites put together. I mean, it's just they do have a bigger fan base. But when you look at the TV ratings, it doesn't always translate. It doesn't always work out that way. There was a few years ago when I think it was Jacob Poland senior year when KUK State basketball, one of the smallest states in all of the Power 5, Power 6 signature around the country had one of the best TV ratings of the year in basketball. How does how does that work? I know Kansas has a national following, but it, it's very rapid, loyal fan bases that will stream, will watch every game. And I'm telling you, that's going to benefit K-State if some of the payout is based on that. When they actually see, oh, look at the number of streams they actually have. Not some archaic Nelson Nielsen rating number that really isn't accurate. The actual number of streams that can be measured and how long you watch and when you watch. And it'll add value to the advertisers to know, hey, the value of the first quarter is worth this and the third quarter is worth that. It's going to work out better for K-State, I'm telling you. Companies just need to make it easier to get their product. Broadcast companies, they just need to make it easier. And that's that's happened with streaming a lot of the time. But, you know, take ESPN still. You can't just get standalone ESPN. If I want to pay ESPN, you know, 30, 40 bucks a month and not have cable, most people would do it. You know, I don't know what the actual split is right now on having, you know, getting your sports channels included in your cable. But it's what, 11, 12 bucks. There's a there's a decent split. You know, the biggest share of your cable bill goes to Disney. It, it does. Mm-hmm. So why not just separate that, double it, triple it, whatever you want to do to it, ESPN. Give the people that want sports, sports. There's there's a lot of people out there that don't care about sports. And Philo is a perfect example of that. It's a streaming platform that doesn't carry sports. It just doesn't have it. That's not in their pricing structure, so it's dirt cheap. I don't necessarily want it. I don't think they have much news either on there. So if you're, and I'm seeing people walk away from news because it's become such theater nowadays. So if you're not a sports or news person, you're saving a lot of money by not having cable and going to streaming. Just, you don't have it available. It's not parked on some channel that you don't watch, but it's in your bill because everyone pays for ESPN. It's on basic cable. If you watch ESPN once a year or a thousand times a year, you're paying the same. And it's not fair. I'm willing to pay more to get specific programming. But right now, I still get to pay less. And that's awesome. But what's going on with baseball and basketball? We see it in baseball right now, but it's happening in basketball yeah. and hockey, too, with these regional sports networks that are collapsing. And this thing that Sinclair is trying to pull off is a major gamble. I kind of admire them for it. 
they're going to set up their own streaming platform next year and expect us to pay for it. Will we? Well, maybe I will. But what they've done this year has soured me on my faith that they will do it the right way because this is not the right way. They should have just come to an agreement and said next year we're doing one-year agreements with YouTube and Hulu and everyone else. And next year we're going to have a streaming network and start advertising it on those platforms right now. But I don't think they've got great foresight. I think they they got themselves in an investment that they don't know how to execute it. I don't know. Selling selling stuff to Bally's might well. I think Bally's is the big winner here. Until sports gambling gets legalized, every I mean that's this is what the play is for Bally's right. anyway. Right, and but it's, it's get sports gambling legal, and now you're with the the regional networks. But the way I see the streaming network thing happening, because they're still streaming on Fox, Fox Sports Go is still the the go to for Bally's right now. Right. What, I mean, what's going to happen is Bally's will make their own app next year, and you'll still have to have a cable login. That's what's going to happen. I think that's what they mean when we'll have our own streaming platform no, I, next year. I think it, I think they've said we're going to have our own service that you can subscribe to. Now, my question is, am I going to just subscribe to the Royals or am I subscribing and getting everything? Because that's two different things. Yeah. Well, if you subscribe to everything, I mean, then you get an MLB TV. And just the way that baseball advanced media has screwed up the entire country for baseball, I have zero faith that anything other than what I just described is going to happen. Uh, MLB TV should be doing exactly what I just outlined. You can, I can say it set it up just like the 24 seven rivals model. Here's my subscription. Most of it goes to the Kansas state publisher or, you know, the Kansas city Royals or Milwaukee Brewers or whatever, but I can watch anything. And then out of the rest of the cut, is a pool where, oh, we can see the general number of streams. You get a bigger piece than what you had directly from subscriptions because more people are actually watching you. You're a good team, so people are watching you. That's what I'm talking about. Why MLB hasn't done that to benefit themselves and their franchises is beyond me. They should be controlling their own product. It's it's a long a long story in history over the last 10 years of them just completely screwing up digital online growth and not taking advantage of them themselves. And it's really, it's hurt. It's hurt baseball and the growth of the game, you know, basketball, football, you know, they've embraced new media, you know, and it, you know, they, they were able to grow baseball. Nobody knows who Mike Trout is, you know, walking down the street. Mike Trout could literally be anonymous right now, wherever no one would notice him. Here's the thing, though. He doesn't actually look like a trout. That is true. Which would make you more noticeable. I don't know. I, I find it all very frustrating. And boy, the second half was a lot longer than the first yeah. half. <sighs> Overtime. It. That's it for this edition of the Powercat Questions podcast. But come back on Friday. We're going to have another overtime. And this time I want to put some effort into it. Powercat podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.